Well, that was it. That was the book of Revelation right there. I hope you guys are, was, <laughs> that video. Um, now, glad you guys are here. We are uh, officially starting the book of Revelation today. If you have never been here before, um, this is what we do. We do whole books of the Bible, and we'll spend as much time as we need, and we will work through it. This one will take us probably, probably takes about eight or nine months. We will be in it for quite a while, and it's one of the only books. Uh, I've done it with a couple of different books of the Bible that I have taught more than once. Um, one of the other ones that I've taught multiple times, and I don't know why, uh, I've taught the Song of Solomon several times, and that's quite uncomfortable. I remember our church was small the first time I taught it, and then I started doing a lot of weddings, and there was a lot of babies being born. And so I was like, well, if the church is ever hurting attendance-wise, I'll just teach Song of Solomon again, get the population back up, and um, move forward. But uh, the book of Revelation kind of has the opposite effect. It's... Uh, I've taught this in 2010, I taught it again in 2013, and then this will be my third time teaching it through. And I'll tell you guys, it is, and excuse me for a second, that last song just messes me up. So it's my third time I've heard it this weekend, and I just cry like a baby over in the corner before I get up here. But every time I teach the book of Revelation, I learn something new. It is, it is truly a fascinating and unique piece of literature. There's, there's nothing like it, and it is absolutely amazing, and it is extremely let me, let, me, let me say this carefully. It's complicated, but it is not outside of your understanding. So many people have been afraid of this book that they've been, they, they, they don't want to touch it, or people have just gotten downright weird about this book, right? So they go to these two extremes. We're going to go into the middle of this, and we're going to dive into it, and um, we're going to learn a lot from it, and you're going to have a good understanding of it. We may disagree on some things, but that's okay. These will be minor things. We'll focus on the major things We'll pull out the major themes, and you guys will be really, really blessed by this book. So here's what I want to do today. We are going to just kind of scratch the surface today, and we're going to do an introduction to this book. Now, again, we're going to spend a lot of time in this book. We're not going to rush through this book, so don't get impatient. We'll get to the crazy stuff and the fun stuff, but it's going to take us a little bit to build a foundation. So today I'm going to do an introduction to this book. And we're going to talk about different reasons why we would study the book of Revelation, some different schools of thought and, and different ways of interpreting it, different ways of applying time to Revelation. And we'll just kind of build a foundation today, talk a little bit about the authors of, of Revelation, and then next week we'll get into chapter one and we'll just go rocking and rolling word by word, verse by verse until we're done with it, okay? So you should have a notes handout. In front of you has everything that I'm going to say on there, everything that's going to be on the screens. Now listen, if you come to this church or if you're new to this church, you'll, you'll see this. Every week you guys get one of those handouts. I think you should keep them all the time because it's a good reference for you. But for the book of Revelation, I really encourage you to keep those. Stick them in the back of your Bible or get a folder and stick them back there because there is so much information that you could just kind of go back and brush up on stuff as we get deep into this. So please keep those. Another way to keep up is if you have the app. So if you, if, if you don't have a handout, if you click on service times and sermon notes, all the notes will be up there. All the, the, the lessons will be on the app and on the website every single week so you can keep up. They're on our Facebook as well. So uh, you're going to want to be present for this and you're going to want to kind of work at it a little bit. Okay? You're going to love it. So all that being said, let me pray. We will jump into this. We're going to do this, this introduction, and the next week we will get into the text, okay? All right, let me pray. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. 
Lord, we thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, uh, for all these people who've come out this morning, God, to, to, to hear about your word and to, to tackle a very complicated but very important book of the Bible. Lord, I pray that you just give us wisdom. I pray that we can focus on the main objectives and what you want us to pull out of the passages and the scriptures. I pray, God, that this will bring us closer to you and bring us closer to each other. Lord, we pray this morning that you bless every church in our city. Pray that you bless every nonprofit in our city, the schools of our city, the government of our city. And Lord, we just thank you, God, that we live in a nation that's free where we can speak of these things openly and learn. And God, we just pray that you keep your hand on us, Lord. Grow us this morning. And pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so why Revelation? One of the reasons that Revelation is important is Revelation was written for Christians. Now, if you're in this room and you are not a mature Christian, maybe you're not a Christian at all, that doesn't mean that you should avoid being here for this series. But the reason why Revelation is at the end of the Bible is because it is intended to be read last. And a common mistake that a lot of new Christians and a lot of non-believers make is they go right to the book of Revelation. And the reason why so many people don't understand the book of Revelation is because they haven't read the entire story leading up to the book of Revelation. Just like if you bought a, a Harry Potter book or a Chronicles of Narnia book or any fictional book, I'm not saying the Bible's fictional, but anything that tells a story, and you pick it up and you go right to the last chapter, of course you don't know what's going on because you haven't read the entire story up to that. So the primary function of Revelation, though, is to prepare believers for Jesus coming back. It is to show us the importance of us being ready, the bride, that's us, to receive the husband, okay? So there is also another reason why we tackle this book is there are special blessings that are bestowed to people from God to people who will take the time and tackle this book of the Bible. The only book of the Bible that starts off like this, where it says, blessed is the one who reads this, and blessed is the one who hears the words of this prophecy and keeps what is written in it. It's the only book of the Bible that says that. Now look, all 66 books of the Bible are a blessing, all of them. They, every single word of the Bible is inspired and breathed by God through men, and they were written down for a reason. But there is something unique about the book of Revelation. It is about future events, not all of it, the majority of it, though, about future events. And if we read these things and apply these things, we are blessed. And there is a special blessing that God gives to people who study the book of Revelation and keep these words. It's a good enough reason for us to dive into it. It's also a highly misunderstood book. Maybe the most read book of the Bible, right? But also probably the most misunderstood book of the Bible. Not only has the content of Revelation been questioned and misunderstood, the value of the book of Revelation has been questioned. And not just by weirdos, right, and non-believers. Guys like John Calvin, guys like Martin Luther, they didn't like the book of Revelation, and they didn't even think it should be in the Bible, in fact, there was so much argument about the book of Revelation that it wasn't a part of the official book uh, of the Bible. It wasn't a part of the Bible until about the fifth century. So it took a long time for it to be canonized and put in the Bible. So there's a lot of controversy about Revelation. Now, when we get into this, there are three major opinions on the book of Revelation. This is from a man named David Pawson, who is a brilliant theologian. He's from Great Britain. 
and he breaks it down into three different categories. The first category of how people think of Revelation is called the human opinion. Now, basically, this is the opinion that the book of Revelation is so complicated and it's not relevant, so I'm just gonna ignore it. And so a lot of Christians, good people, have this very low view of Revelation because, well, it's just, I'm not smart enough to get Revelation, right? It's too complex. It's not relevant for us today. We'll just see how it all unfolds. And that's not a very good opinion of Revelation. Another view of Revelation is called the satanic or demonic opinion. Now, this is basically what this means. If you get into the Bible, and if you're in here and you're a new Christian or a non-believer, Two of the most important parts about the Bible are the first couple of chapters in Genesis and the last couple of chapters of Revelation. The satanic opinion says, if we can make people believe the beginning of the Bible is just a bunch of fairy tales and that the end of the Bible is too complex for people to get, if the devil can persuade us to think like that, it makes this whole thing irrelevant. It takes all the power out of this book. That's called the satanic opinion. So the devil, and I know that sounds really cheesy, right? But the devil wants you to be afraid of Revelation, but you don't have to be afraid of Revelation. The opinion that we need to take is called the divine opinion. That means that this book of the Bible is extremely important to God. Like I said, not only are special blessings given to people who read and hear this book and apply this book, there are also great consequences to people who deny this book and don't do the things in this book. So the book of Revelation completes the Bible. It makes this book whole. It reminds us that Christ is in fact coming back. Not only does it tell us that he's coming back, it tells us how those things will unfold. So though we may not know the exact day that Jesus is coming back, we will have an idea of the season that he will be coming back because Revelation shows us what that is going to look like. So we did the book of Jude a couple of weeks ago, if you were here for that, right? And then I tricked you to come into a vision service, and now here we are. But anyways, we did the book of Jude, and the reason why I did the book of Jude, and nothing to take away from the book of Jude, it's the, it's the second to the last book of the Bible. It's only one chapter, and it's kind of a downer. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but it's talking about how false teachers are infiltrating the church and how Christianity was going through some very turbulent times. And without the book of Revelation, that's how the Bible would end. It would end very negative, and it would end very incomplete. So Revelation gives us the climax of the story between God and man. It tells us the ending of the narrative. It tells us that tough times are gonna come, hard times are coming, but God's people will make it through if they just stay close to him. That we end in victory, we end in triumph, okay? So those are just some reasons why we're even gonna go down this road, you and I, this journey. Now let's talk about who wrote the book of Revelation. Now, many of you probably know, it's a, it's a guy named John. John was the original, one of the original 12 disciples. He wrote five books of the Bible. He wrote one of the Gospels, the Gospel of John. He wasn't super creative with his, his book titles. He also wrote first, second, and third, John. <laughs> and then he wrote the book of Revelation because it was a revelation from God. Now, just a couple of fun facts about John. John was the only one of the original 12 disciples to die a natural death. I don't know if you knew this or not. It's kind of a side note. One of the disciples, Judas, he committed suicide. 
the other 10 disciples were violently murdered. I mean, some of them, I think it was Bartholomew was hacked to death. I mean, awful stuff, the way that they died. The only one that died of natural causes was John. Oddly enough, he was the only disciple present when Jesus was on the cross. Fascinating, huh? Here's the thing about John. John never intended to write this book. He didn't like make his green tea and take an Instagram pic of his desk. Like he didn't do any of that. It kind of came to him in a hurry. <laughs> you guys have never seen those pics, right? Everyone's like, oh, just chaotically doing my schoolwork. But you know, they spent 30 minutes concocting this like, anyways, <laughs> John didn't do all that. John got this revelation from God at an unexpected time, and he had to frantically write down the book of Revelation. Now, when we talk about the author, you guys are like, well, John, he's the author. Not really. Here's what's interesting. Another fun fact about John. John was boiled alive by the emperor of Rome during his time, Emperor Domitian. Now, there's a lot of, of, of stories about how that went down. And what some people believe is that he was put into a vat of boiling oil. It didn't, obviously, it didn't kill him, but some people say that he didn't even feel it. Almost kind of like uh, the three that were thrown into the furnace in the book of Daniel, right? That they were thrown into the fire, but didn't feel A similar situation, some people believe, was with John. The emperor didn't know what to do with John because the boiling oil didn't kill him. So he kicked him, uh, he kicked him out of the Roman Empire onto an island called Patmos, right off the coast of Asia Minor. And I'll show you a map next week so you'll know exactly where this is. But while he was on this island, John received this revelation. It was audible, which means he could hear things and he could see it. We'll get into this next week, but it says he was in the spirit. And when he was in the spirit, these things, he could hear them and see them. And God said, write this down, take these things down. So when we talk about the author of Revelation, John was just the guy writing it down. He wasn't really the author. God is the author of Revelation. I know that sounds like a churchy thing to say, but it's kind of like if you went into a movie theater and the director and the writer of the movie gave you a pad of paper and a pen and said, I'm about to hit play, write down everything you see. He wrote the movie, he directed the movie. You're just the one taking down what is happening on the screen. That's what John was doing. Now, because of this, some people argue if it's the same John. And so when you go back and read the other four books that John wrote, they're written in very, very eloquent Greek. He's a very learned man, very intelligent writer. And so when he wrote the book of Revelation, though, it was written very chaotically. And I don't mean that like it's, there's anything wrong with it, but it was written in what's called inferior Greek. And some people say because the two writing samples look different, it couldn't have been the same person. Now, it is the same person. Now, let me tell you why I believe it's the same person. Any of you who have ever been to college, and if you haven't been, there's nothing wrong with you, but any of you who've been, you're probably the smarter ones, but anyways, those of you who have been to college, you know when you're in class, you're frantically taking notes, right? Professor's speaking, he doesn't stop, he just kind of rolls, and you're frantically writing stuff down. I mean, my notes, you'd have arrows pointing to things and things circled, and I'd get bored and doodle stuff, and all this stuff's going on, right? Then you go back and look at it, and you're like, what in the heck did I write, right? Now, if you took my notes from lecture class, it looked like chaos. But when I wrote essays, they were written very, very well. I had like a 3.6 in my English classes as well my degree in. So my writings looked completely different. It's the same way with John. 
He was frantically taking notes. Now, when he wrote his other books, he had time and he could sit. It wasn't that it was a different John. It was the same John. But he's frantically writing things down, and he's looking at things that were in the future that he, he, he was doing his best to explain these things, okay? So the book of Revelation is considered apocalyptic literature. That sounds pretty heavy. The word apocalypse, though, has kind of gotten a bad rap in our culture. You say apocalypse, we're like, oh, yes, yes, the zombie apocalypse, the nuclear apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, those things. That's not what apocalypse really means. Apocalypse simply means an unveiling, a, a exposing of something. So apocalyptic literature is unveiling things that have not happened yet. That's what the book of Revelation is. And Revelation is unique to all other books of the Bible because it talks about the past, it talks about things that are going on presently in the spiritual world, and then it talks about the future and then the very distant future. So it encompasses kind of all of time. And we kind of get, this is an interesting way of, of viewing Revelation, we get like a God's eye view of time and humanity. It's pretty amazing. So it's very, very unique to all other books. Okay, now this is why you have notes in your hand, because I'm going to go through this stuff. It's going to be a little complicated, but you can go back and read over it. Now, let me advise you before I get into this section. Do not get wrapped up in stuff like this too much. It's fun knowledge to have, but you don't have to get lost in this stuff, okay? There are different ways that people apply time to the book of Revelation. The first one is they say Revelation is cyclical. It goes in cycles, that good things happen, bad things happen, on and on it goes forever and ever, cyclical, okay? There's also a way called rhythmic, like this, like a wave. Things get good, things get bad, but they're never quite the same. But there are these waves, these rhythms throughout eternity and throughout, throughout human history. Another way that people look at the book of Revelation is optimistically, I've never met this person, but they think the world is just always getting better, right? Things are getting better. Humans are better than they've ever been. The government is better than it's ever been. The world is better than it's ever been. It's always getting good. The other view of looking at time when it applies to Revelation is pessimistically. It's getting worse, right? Just talk to your grandparents, right? Well, when I, when I was young, it was much better, right? It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse until we blow the world up by nuclear war or we destroy the environment so bad that it can't sustain life anymore. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. The fifth view of time when it comes to the book of Revelation is where we're going to hang out. It's called the apocalyptic view. Now, what it means is this, and I drew you this fancy little diagram up here, that things are going to get bad, 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 and then something is going to happen, and then it's going to get good and stay good forever. That's what the apocalyptic view is. That's how Revelation is written. Bad, 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 bad. Something happens. I'll tell you what that is here in a second. And then it is good, good, good forever. Now, there are three groups of people that subscribe to an apocalyptic view of the future. That is Jewish people, communists, and Christians. Now, the way that they see this thing happening and changing the world is vastly different. 
The Jewish people believe it's going to be bad, 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 and then the Messiah is going to come, and it's going to be good. They don't believe the Messiah has come yet. Communists believe it's going to get bad, 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 bad. Then there will be a, uh, some kind of a revolution, a governmental revolution, a social revolution, and then there will be a perfect utopian state, and things will be good forever, right? Don't hold your breath. The last one, Christians believe it will get bad, 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 and then Jesus Christ will come back, and it will be good, heaven, right? It'll be good forever. That's the apocalyptic view. Another very important part of apocalyptic literature, and this is where a lot of people really talk a lot about Revelation, are symbols and numbers. There's a lot of numbers in the book of Revelation. 666, that's probably the most famous one, right? A lot of sevens, a lot of twelves, a lot of threes. There's a lot of different numbers all throughout the book of Revelation, and we'll talk about these numbers. There's also a lot of symbols, Now, people get afraid of the symbols, but let me tell you about the symbols in the book of Revelation. Many of them are obvious. The dragon is the devil, right? That's that's pretty easy to put two and two together. Some of them are obvious. Some of them are explained. If you just read a little bit further, it explains it. So in chapter one, it talks about these seven stars. Oh, what are the seven stars? You read a little bit further, it says that they're churches. Okay, got it, right? Just had to read till the end of the chapter. So some of them are explained. Some of the symbols are paralleled to other scripture. So we just got to dig a little bit more in the Bible, but we can find an explanation. And then when it comes to the very obscure symbols that we're not 100% sure, there's very few of those. So it's shocking. So many people get so intimidated by Revelation, but there's not a lot of uh, obscurity in it. Most of it is understandable. It's explained. Now, this is the part of Revelation where people get weird. This is where people start to break codes, and this is where people start to look at the book of Revelation like it's some kind of almanac, and if I just add every 14th letter, it spells this out, and there's something hidden in the bottom of the Louvre and France, and all this weird stuff, right? And people get super squirrely with the book of Revelation. Do not get too hung up on cryptic numbers and symbols and stuff like that. That's not why Revelation was written. So here's some different schools of interpretation. Now, again, this stuff gets a little bit deep, but do not get too hung up on this stuff. So 30% of the book of Revelation has not happened yet. It is future predictions. It is prophecies. There's somewhere in the neighborhood of about 56 prophecies in the book of Revelation. And so because they haven't happened yet, there's a ton of different interpretations. So what we need to know as we get into the book of Revelation is there is not one magic key that just unlocks the book of Revelation. You guys remember when that Bible code book came out maybe 20 years ago, right? It was literally like add up every eighth letter and you'll find out exactly what time Jesus comes back and all this kind of weird stuff. There's nothing like that with the book of Revelation. There are different schools of interpretation and we have to use kind of all of those at different times and when we work hard at the book of Revelation, and when we have control and when we're level-headed, we'll get a lot out of this book. The first view is called the preterist view. This is the idea. Some people, when they call themselves a preterist, they believe that the entire book of Revelation was written in about, it was written about the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. That would mean that they think the whole book of Revelation is history 
It has already happened, and it was simply about this one period of time in the first century uh, of Christianity. Now, the strength of that idea is that it puts the book of Revelation in context. It's a very important thing to do to put the Bible in context. Who was the author writing to? What was going on during this time period? That's very important to do. So that's a good thing about this view. A bad thing about this view is you have to really kind of manipulate historical events to make everything in the book of Revelation fit, right? You have to really kind of like stretch things and and twist things to make it fit, and they don't. And so this view has some weaknesses to it. The second view is called the historicist view. This views the book of Revelation as something that has happened, but something that happens over and over and over again. It's cyclical. The best way to think of that is every generation has an antichrist. Uh, We would say that our antichrist was Adolf Hitler, that you had this, this global leader that came up and was persecuting the Jewish people, but the good God-fearing nation came in and, and put the evil down and we moved past it. But it's this idea that revelation will repeat itself over and over and over again. Now, the strength of that idea is that every generation would read the book of Revelation and believe in it. The weakness of that is that not every single generation has had an Adolf Hitler. Not every generation has had this oppressive dictator that rises up and someone has to come in and and shut it down. So you have to, again, really manipulate history to make this view work. Another view is called the futurist view. Now, this is where a lot of modern Christians fall into this camp. The futurist view believes that everything after chapter 3 is in the future, which it is, so that part is correct. Typically, though, people in this camp are real heavy on a rapture, which means Jesus is going to come back before any of us have to go through anything bad. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag real soon. I don't believe in that, and I'll, I'll, I'll show you that as we go on. If you disagree with me, it's fine, right? We can still love each other and go through this series together, but I don't believe in this word rapture because it's not in the Bible. But anyways, often futurists try to decipher codes in Revelation. They look at Revelation like an almanac. And now I'm not trying to be mean or sarcastic here, but but every couple of years, something will happen. I think it was last year, the year before the blood moons, right? And everyone's like, well, Jesus is coming back Tuesday. You know what I mean? Like people like, they look at that stuff and they think because it mentions the moon turning to blood in Revelation that if there's a blood moon, which is just a natural phenomenon of the universe, but when that happens, they think, oh, well, there it is. It says it here, that's happening there. We're all toast, right? And so they tend to look at Revelation in codes and almanacs, and that is its weakness. The strength, though, of this is it does acknowledge that the book of Revelation is prophecy, that we need to be looking for these things, that these things have not happened yet, and that's a big strength of this view. The last view is called the idealist view. This basically looks at the book of Revelation like it's it's a fairy tale, and I don't mean that in a derogatory manner. It looks at it more like a, like a long parable. It's just a story about good and evil, and it's got good morals and good truths. They believe that the underlying theme of revelations are true, but it's not actual events. These things aren't actually going to happen. It's just to tell us to be good and to, to fight evil, right? A negative about that is it doesn't really speak about an end time. It's called eschatology. That's the fancy word for that. 
So this view doesn't really focus on the fact that Jesus is one day coming back. What's good about this view, though, is it does take out what I feel like is the most important things, that we are to live a righteous life, that we are to prepare for Jesus's return. Those are the most important things about the the book of Revelation, but it treats it like a fairy tale, and and that's not what it is. It is the future. It is is what, what is going to happen. So here's the thing about Revelation, though. You just saw all these different views. I I encourage you not to get hung up on those, and I encourage you not to say, well, I am absolutely this. Those different views are tools, and we will use those tools. We will blend those tools. We will use different tools at different times in different parts of Revelation. The reason why is Revelation is very different in three different sections. The first three chapters of Revelation is extremely simple. And most churches will teach the first three chapters of Revelation. It's when you get into the future events, chapters 4 through 18. That's where it gets very complicated. That's where there's a lot of symbols. That's where we really have to dig and be careful. And then the last part, the the very distant future, talking about eternity, chapters 19 through 22, that stuff, we're going to treat all three of those sections a little bit differently. And so we need to use different tools. We need to look at the context and What is John trying to tell us in these different parts? That's how we're going to break this down, okay? So the point is this, before we get real deep into this, this book of the Bible is actually extremely practical. Here's what I want you to remember for today. Revelation was written for normal people like you and I. It wasn't written for people who have doctorates in divinity. I mean, they can read it and get a lot from it too, but it wasn't written just for clergy or pastors or It wasn't written just to sit there and no one ever touch it. It was written for us to read it and for us to get practical, applicable things from it. Now, some of the practical things we get is we we get the theme of worship from Revelation. One of the most beautiful chapters in the entire Bible is Revelation chapter 4. As the angels fly around God and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Beautiful scene in heaven that is happening right as we speak. So we get this theme of worship. We get the theme of the persecuted church. We get the theme of God's protection. We get the theme of repentance, which we don't talk about enough in church. We get the theme of Jesus, in fact, coming back for his people. So again, I want you to know that A, you can understand this book, not not everything about it, but the majority of it, we can get this. And it is applicable to our day-to-day lives. It's a good thing. Revelation is also a book about perseverance. Now, in third world countries and in countries where Christians are persecuted and murdered and martyred for their faith, the book of Revelation is extremely popular. The reason why is the book of Revelation gives people who are being persecuted hope. They read this and they see that God has a special blessing for those who die for his name. So it gives them hope. We don't read it a lot in the United States because we don't want to talk about persecution in the United States. We live in the lap of luxury and the idea that one day all of this will change, we don't want to talk about that. Guys, I'm going to get mean here for a second. North American Christians think the universe revolves around them. Let me tell you something very humbling. The book of Revelation does not mention the Western world one time. That means that it is irrelevant by the time Jesus comes back. So we are so arrogant and so haughty now, and we are going to be humbled. And I'm not saying that to scare you, 
but we are going to go through hard times, and we need to make sure that we are ready for that. So the book of Revelation talks about perseverance, and right now in this wonderful nation that we live in with all the freedoms that we have, it's very easy for us to say, yes, God is good. We believe that God is gonna win and he is so victorious. It's a lot harder to say that when times get tough. So we need to make sure that's where we are. Believers are called to endure and to lean on God even in the worst of times. Now, if you're a note taker, if you're one of those circlers or something like that in your Bible, the thesis verse of the entire book of Revelation is 1412. That is the, that is the linchpin of the entire book of Revelation. And it says this, this calls for endurance of the saints who keep the commands of God and faith in Jesus. That is what the book of Revelation is, is essentially all about. The endurance of the saints who keep the commands of God and keep their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. So, so just remember 1412, that is kind of the linchpin of the entire book of Revelation. If you had to encapsulate the book of Revelation in one word, that word would be overcome. The central theme of Revelation is that the church will overcome because Jesus will overcome all evil. He will come and get rid of all evil, all bad things he will take care of. So the central theme of the entire book of Revelation is simply this, Jesus wins. He is victorious. The question is, will you and I still remember that and believe that when we go through persecution, when we have to endure, when the world starts to fall apart, will we still say, Jesus wins? He's still victorious and we're still victorious because we believe in him and follow him. So let me tell you one more time. As we get going, do not get lost in the weeds. Well, I'm a pre-tribulation, I'm a post-tribulation, I'm a mid-tribulation, that's fine. As long as you're following Jesus, you pre-tribulation people that think we're gonna be raptured out before anything bad happens, I hope you're right, right? I would rather just zap on out of here before anything bad happens. I don't personally believe that's the way it works, but I hope that's the way it works. We can disagree on stuff like that and still get a lot from this book. If we will have an open mind, if we will have a humble heart, this book will absolutely change your life. It is amazing, it is vivid, it is beautiful. It's sometimes scary and sometimes daunting, but we get to see our relationship with God unfold. Just in chapter one, guys, John explains to us the face of God. I mean, that's amazing. And we get to read how John is looking in the face of God and how he explains the face of God. It is, a, it is a magnificent book of the Bible. So don't get lost in the non-essentials. Let's focus on Jesus and let's focus on preparing ourselves for his return, okay? So here's the last thing. If you and I can focus on the bigger picture, the central themes of this book, if we can focus on Jesus and if we can turn the spotlight on ourselves and, and make sure that we're right and ready for him, the book of Revelation is gonna beg two questions from all of us. The first question is this, how much do we love him? How much do we love him? Do we love Jesus enough to go through the things that this book talks about? Do we love him that much? The second question that it will beg us is how committed are we to our faith? How much do we love him? And what is our commitment level? That's what this book will ask us. 
guys, I give you my word. If you will be committed to this, if you'll be here, if you'll do a little bit of reading ahead of time and reading afterwards, keep those notes. I, I give you my word. This book will absolutely wreck you. It is absolutely amazing. You will love it, and it's going to be a great adventure, and we'll be doing it for a long time. So if you don't love it, I'm sorry. So, uh, but it's going to be good. Hey, bow your heads. Let me pray with you guys. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, a couple of things. One, we have men and women up here at the front if you need prayer for absolutely anything. Anything. It doesn't have to do with anything I talked about today. It can be anything you need. Please let some of these men and women pray for you. Also, if you're in this room and you are either a non-believer but you're interested in this whole thing, this, this following Jesus thing, Maybe you're a, a new Christian, but you don't know what to do next. You don't know how to pray. You don't know where to go, what to do. Come up here to my right, your left. Phil is up here. He's wearing the Phillies cap. Come up here and talk to him. If you have any questions about Christianity, about what to do next, come up here and talk to him. Last thing is this. All around us where there are lamps on the tables is communion. Now, here's what I want you to think about a little bit today is you're taking communion. A, I want you to ask God to forgive you of your sins. You cannot take communion unless you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. But when you take communion today, of course I want you to think about the fact that God gave his only son to die for us, to cover up our shame and our guilt and, and, and forgive us of our sin and fill us with his Holy Spirit. Yes, all those things, that's wonderful. Here's the other thing about communion today though. One day he's coming back. One day, he's going to come back, and there will be a place where we will live together with him, where there are no tears, there are no sicknesses, there is no pain, there is no war or hunger, there is no hatred or gossip or any of those things. So when you take that communion today, think about that. One day, Jesus is going to return, and he's going to come back for us. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Father, I just pray as we start this book, Lord, let us enjoy it. Let us just learn a lot. God, Lord, let our faith grow. And Lord, let us ask hard questions and get real deep into this. And God, we just pray that you bless us, Lord. Your word says that it will, and we trust that, Lord. We know that that's going to happen. Father, we, we thank you. We put all of our trust in you. And I just pray blessings, and I pray grace and peace and mercy on everyone in this room until we meet again. Lord, we love you and we thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you, guys.